Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from Bangor Celtic Crossroads, a new festival featuring music by MR, Gabriel Donahue, and more from Thursday, September 27th through Sunday, September 30th. Shows at the Bangor Arts Exchange and Mason's Brewery. For more information, bangorkeltic.org. The time's 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. Democracy Forum with your host, Ann Luther, is up next. Good morning. Welcome to the Democracy Forum. This is the seventh program in our series this year to broadcast at this time on the third Friday of each month. We are featuring topics in Maine's participatory democracy, encouraging citizens to take an active role in government and politics. This program is a project of the League of Women Voters Down East, produced in cooperation with WERU-FM. Our conversation today is about elections in Maine, where the rubber meets the road. We'll talk about what citizens need to know about the conduct of elections in Maine, what are the opportunities for citizen participation and observation, and what aspects are conducted by the state with regard to the security and integrity of the process and the electronic components. We want to know what role do town clerks play in making sure that things run smoothly. We'll be taking your calls during the second half of the show, so stand by to join the conversation. This is Ann Luther from the League of Women Voters of Maine. I'll be your host for the Democracy Forum this morning. Let me introduce our guests. Joining me in the studio today is Patty Dubois. Patty is the city clerk in Waterville. She was the 2012 winner of the Clerk of the Year Award from the Maine Town and City Clerks Association, and she serves in various committee capacities for that association to do with elections right now. Welcome, Patty. Good morning. Joining us on the phone today is Julie Flynn. Julie is the Deputy Secretary of State for the Maine Secretary of State's Bureau of Corporations, Elections, and Commissions. Julie began her service as a Maine election official in 1988, serving first as the Assistant City Clerk for the City of Portland. Since 1995, Julie has led the Secretary of State's Bureau of Corporations, Elections, and Commissions first as director, and since 1999 as the Deputy Secretary of State for the Bureau. Welcome, Julie. Good morning. Glad to have you with us. Thank you. So here it is, election season 2018. We're doing it all over again. Um, Even for those of us like me who are of a certain age, it's hard to remember a time when there was more at stake in elections. The country is more divided than ever. Elections are closely and ferociously contested. At the same time, in a recent NPR Marist poll, we learned that 40% of Americans said they do not believe our elections are fair. Depending on race, gender, partisan identity, people have different reasons for mistrusting election outcomes, from foreign interference to racial bias to voter fraud. One thing people do mostly agree on, though, is that they trust their local and state election officials. Um, 66% in the poll said so. So today we're going to talk to just exactly those people, our local and state election officials, and learn from them what we can do to build trust in the conduct of elections, to make sure our elections are fair and well run, and to engage more citizens in this most democratic process. So I'd like to sort of start from the basics, Julie, and um, ask you, How are election jurisdictions organized in Maine, town, county, federal, state, and how does this compare to other states? 
Well, in Maine, elections are a partnership between the Elections Division of the Secretary of State and about 500 municipal jurisdictions. There are cities, towns, plantations, and a few unorganized townships that conduct their own elections in Maine. Uh, this uh, process of voting at the local level or having election administration at the local level is really unique to New England, um, Michigan, and Wisconsin. And the rest of the country has a county-based election administration process. So, Patty, we have 500 town clerks. Is that what I'm hearing? That's approximately, yes. That's a lot. Yeah. And who do you report to as a town clerk? You don't report to Julie, do you? No, well, we uh, administer elections for the state and federal elections under the purview of the Secretary of State, but locally we um, answer to the town or city manager, select boards or city councils. So, Julie, these 500 people kind of work at your direction, but they don't actually report to you. Does that create some, um, I don't know what the right word is, not an issue exactly, but how does that work? Well, I think there's a lot of trust involved. Um, we, the state is, I think this gets to a later question, but the state is responsible for producing the ballots and the forms and instructions and providing training to the municipal clerks and registrars of voters. And then the towns have to take this information and produce the election. They have to um, secure the voting places and the staff to, you know, the election officials to, to run the election. So uh, we advise, but we can't compel. So, uh, and we really don't have the mechanism to correct <laughs> um, actions of a, of a municipal uh, official. So, you know, we do the best we can to really encourage control <laughs> um, entice entice um, and sometimes very sternly to say you know this is what the law requires um, but ultimately we have to rely on the local officials to, to carry it out certainly from the clerks association you know there must be a broad range of um, skills training professionalism I mean, some of these are big departments with many positions. Some is one person not even working full-time. Is that a challenge, Patty? Well, yes, it's certainly a challenge because, um, you know, clerks across the state, we all have similar duties and responsibilities, but at differing degrees, you know, like you mentioned, some folks have a lot of staff and some are a staff of one that work out of their home. Uh, so it's um, a challenge for our affiliate association to get training about all aspects of clerk duties to clerks in the most remote areas. So um, I'm talking about the role of the Secretary of State's office and the Town and City Clerks Association and the Maine Municipal Association in raising the professional level of the clerks. I mean, how, how do they get trained for state and federal elections, Julie? We have, a, in state law, we have a mandatory training requirement for the clerk and registrar of voters who in some towns may be the same person, but there is a separate full-day training session that we conduct uh, annually. Uh, one we do with a two-day uh, elections conference uh, put on entirely by the Secretary of State, 
and the others, we partner with the Maine Town and City Clerks Association to uh, present this training in conjunction with a municipal clerk. So our office does the, you know, this is what the law says, and the clerks, uh, the clerk trainer talks about where the rubber meets the road, really. This mm-hmm. is how we get it done. So do they have to go to that training every year? It's every two years. And we have to be somewhat um, liberal with our are looking at this because um, clerks come and go. Yeah. You know, we, we have a lot of turnover. We have, uh, if, if a, our, in our view, if at least a clerk or a deputy from a town goes once every two years, we're happy with that if we, at least one person in the office is, is trained. And, and to their credit, many towns do send multiple people to make mm-hmm. sure they have continuity and, and um, knowledge transfer. The towns have to pay for that, though, right? That's right. Uh, it's based on, I mean, the, the training we do with the Town and City Clerks Association, the fee is set to, you know, it goes to the association and it's set to cover the cost of the, the session and materials. And that's what we do with Secretary of State's office. We try to cover at least the cost of the food that, you know, that is served during the day. I mean, it is an eight-hour day. Right. So... And then, Patty, is it different for municipal elections? Is there a separate training regimen for that? There is not. Um, administration of local election varies from town to town based on whether a town or city has a city charter or not. Mm-hmm. So there's a Title 38 class that covers um, town meeting and elections. Yep. So that's more on the local level. So Title 38 covers that segment of elections and Title 21A um, a the difference state and federal side. is for federal and state elections. Yep. Okay, great. And um, is it your experience, Patty, that most of the 500 clerks go and take the training seriously? Well, I think uh, there's a segment of, of the clerks that do take the training seriously. I think it's more of a challenge for some smaller communities. Yep. You know, if you have a part-time clerk that only works, you know, a, a few hours a week or whatever, week or yeah. whatever. Um, there may be not be a training budget that sort of thing but if uh, clerks are members of the main towns and city clerks association we do have scholarship money available for elections yep. for all of our trainings but elections as well um, so money shouldn't be the obstacle uh, to get a clerk there but you know a lot of those part-time clerks have other full-time jobs yep so it's harder to, for them to get away and I mean, as it would be in any sample of 500, mm-hmm. you know, there's got to be a range of um, experience, professionalism, um, times in dedication, years on the job. Right. So if um, I want, well, I want to get to this later. We'll talk more about what people can do if they think something funny is going on with their town election. But uh, you know, talking more about how much people trust i mean people this is like the main thing people trust their local election officials and you know going back to this mayor's poll this just came out so it was kind of interesting but i was telling patty before we went on the air that according to this poll 31 percent of the people in the poll thought voter fraud was the biggest threat to um, election outcomes 24 percent thought voter suppression was the biggest threat uh, 22% thought interference from Russia or a foreign country was the biggest threat. And then, uh, you know, coming up last, 15% thought vote tampering by election officials was the biggest threat. So of all the things that could be going wrong, 
people don't really think their election officials are crooked and messing with the outcomes. They think other things may be going on, but they don't really think their election officials are going going wrong. But still, I mean, people can make mistakes. And so let's just wrap up this little segment of the show and ask if somebody is in the polling place and thinks that their election official or their warden or they go to register and they're getting some pushback or something, if people think it's not being done correctly, what should they do? Well, I think the first thing they should do is ask to speak to the warden, who is the presiding officer at the voting place, and just ask a question. Say, I saw this. Is this is this okay? And if you don't get a satisfactory answer, uh, the Secretary of State's office uh, has staff available all day on Election Day from usually about 6.30 in the morning till probably about 11 p.m. Uh, you can call the, the main number... Uh, is uh, 207-624-7650 and uh, can talk to one of our staff or myself and ask, you know, uh, a lot of times the observation isn't something that's wrong necessarily, but uh, we will, if we think it's serious, we'll try to contact the local election official and say, did this happen? And if it is wrong, need to stop it. Mm-hmm. And correct it. You know, our goal is to try to correct it on election day, and it really is not helpful to get complaints after the election about someone who feels that their vote was suppressed or they were disenfranchised because there's nothing we can do about it at that point. You want to chime in, Patty? Well, I would agree with what Julie says. I mean, the person should check in directly with the warden. Uh, at the polling place, um, and usually it's just a, a misinterpretation or a misunderstanding, and the clarification can take place right there, and it's it's resolved. It's a little disheartening when you get a call from the Secretary of State's office, so the person kind of jumps over and goes right to the top to make a, a complaint or a concern voiced, and then we get a call from the Secretary of State, and we could have handled that right there at the polling place. So that's a little frustrating for us, um, but... The, the question usually can be answered or resolved right on site. And I would say that it's probably not anything um, that's purposeful on the part of a, an election official. Usually it's maybe a misunderstanding of the law or kind of an overzealous election worker. Um, you know, that's usually the case. So, I mean, we had a few complaints after the primary come to the legal room voters. And again, after the fact, where people had, um, you know, thought they'd registered and thought they could vote in the candidate elections, but got there and, you know, found there was some snafu and were turned away. Um, so I, I guess I'd just like to have you reiterate the message. If something like that happens to you on Election Day, don't go home. Right. Well, I would just point out that primaries are probably the most difficult election for us to administer because there was a lot of confusion on the part of the voter about uh, enrollment in a party and changing parties and that sort of thing. Um, so we try to get the word out in advance, um, but it doesn't always hit the people that need to hear it the most. So um, certainly we we want people to be able to participate um, but there are certain laws that prohibit people from changing from one party to another on election day. So if they were hoping to do that, then that at a primary, that um, would prohibit them from doing that. But certainly getting information out in advance is always helpful. But if they thought the election clerk made a mistake, mm -hmm. don't go home and worry about it later. Right. Stay right there and mm -hmm. get a definitive And get answer. it resolved. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Julie, you want to 
second that motion? Absolutely. I mean, we've had a lot of uh, towns who've called us directly and put the voter on the phone. And Mm -hmm. they said, I've tried to explain this. This is what happened. And they're questioning this. And can you talk to them? And, And I would much rather spend time talking to the voter and resolving it during Election Day when they can potentially still vote if if they're eligible. But, um, you know, we we did get a fair amount of complaints after the election with people who didn't think it was right that you had to be enrolled in a party to vote in a primary election for that party. And so, you know, that's not something that the state is doing wrong. It's what the law is. And so, you know, we can tell people that and say, if you think it should be changed, you work through the legislative process to get it changed. Yep. We'll take a little break here and remind our listeners that we're tuned to the Democracy Forum on WERU-FM. This is Ann Luther from the League of Women Voters of Maine. Our topic today is elections in Maine, where the rubber meets the road. We're talking to the real people. Our guests this morning are Patty Dubois, Waterville City Clerk, and Julie Flynn, Deputy Secretary of State for Corporations, Elections, and Commissions. Um, We'll be taking listener calls at the half hour, so stay tuned for that. But let's um, continue our conversation and talk about, um, I guess I would ask you to, before I go back to some of this polling data and ask you about the sources of insecurity, let me put it to you. I mean, what are the problems that you see most commonly? Um, Who wants to go first? Patty? Sure, I can go first. Um, Generally, on Election Day, the biggest issues or complaints that we receive, um, a lot of voters are intimidated or frustrated with the fact that candidates uh, are allowed to be at the polling place. Okay. Um, And basically, they're limited to what they can do. They can shake hands and say, you know, thanks for voting today. My name is Patty Dubois. But they can't ask for a vote, so there's really no influence allowed. But, you know, in larger polling places like... um, The city of Waterville has one polling place for 12,000 voters. Um, There can be, you know, a line of several candidates, so people have to run the gauntlet to get inside. So that's a little intimidating. I think people are a little frustrated with that, but it does fall within what's allowable at the polling place, so it's not illegal, but it is a concern for voters. Another area is um, petitioners are allowed to collect signatures for initiatives or, or candidate signatures or whatnot at the polling place. Um, Some of them can be a little somewhat aggressive maybe, or or there can be, again, a long line of those to exit the polling place, and people can get frustrated with that at times, but again, it's within the parameters of the law. So those really are the most concerns. We do have some concerns about lines at the polls at times, um, but I haven't seen situations where people have had to wait more than 10 or 15 minutes at the polling place. I don't think that's unreasonable. Um, I think that people need to plan to allow a little bit of time. I mean, we're pushing through thousands of people within a 12-hour period of time. Uh, We're mindful of that, and we have staffing in place to push people through quickly. But they have to be prepared to wait a few minutes. So I don't think that's unreasonable. So we have had some concerns expressed about that, but I don't think it's been unreasonable. Also on election day, we have same day voter registration in Maine. Uh, That can back up, lines can back up there. Um, But you know, you have 364 other days out of the year that you can register to vote. If you choose to wait till election day, I think you have to expect that you're going to have to wait a little bit. Yep. Do you want to add to that list, Julie, or maybe you're office sees a different list of issues come through. 
Well, I think some of it is uh, calls about, you know, candidates and campaign issues. What can they do and can they even be there? And, you know, my goodness, the person opened the door for me. Is that illegal? (laughs) You know, they're trying to buy my vote. I'm like, I think they're being polite, but thank you. Um, But, um, you know, I think there's a misunderstanding um, out there about and a misuse of the term um, voter fraud. Um, and so sometimes people call us and say it's voter fraud if, you know, a mistake happened at the polls or, or something. And it's, it's, no, you know, voter fraud is someone trying to vote who's not entitled to or, you know, voting twice or voting in the name of another person or a, a concerted effort by someone to change an outcome of an election. And it's not mistakes that may happen, you know, at the polls or interpretation. I do think lines at the polls are a bit of an issue, especially where, in an effort to be efficient and save money, our local uh, jurisdictions are holding their local election on the same day as the state election. And we may not, you know, it, it takes longer when you have multiple ballots to to mark and, and put through a tabulator, it takes longer. And if it takes you a minute to put four ballots into a tabulator, I don't think that's unreasonable. I think people, like Patty said, I think people have to, you know, take a breath and they're not waiting hours. You know, they're not, you know, standing in line for days like other countries, you know, in other parts of the, even of this country, they're not standing in line for hours to, to get through the polls. So I think people have to be a little bit more patient. And this is our most important duty, in my view, we have to, you know, take the time that's necessary to do it. Yep. I mean, in this Maris poll, it looked like um, a, like around 90% of people said they waited around 10 minutes to mm-hmm. vote, which is not extreme. No. But, um, you know, even here in Maine, we hear once in a while that something backed up, you know, and people were circling the block trying. And, it, you know, it probably is a same-day registration thing is probably part of it. But, um, you know, we do have that stuff come up once in a while, maybe not every election. Um, do do we have vote fraud in Maine? I mean, do you see it, that happening? There's been precious little, uh, you know, in my 30 years in elections, I mean, I didn't experience any at the city of Portland. And since I've come to the state, I think we've prosecuted maybe a half dozen people. Um, and, you know, one person, their house was in Part of it in Booth Bay and part of it in Booth Bay Harbor, and like the town right line yeah, ran down the went middle right of down house. through the middle yeah. of his house, and he thought he could vote in both places, <laughs> which you can't. It's <laughs> the same, the same election. So, um, you know, he could pick one or the other place to vote, and that's where he needed to register. Um, you know, we've had a, a you know a number of the, those small handful of incidents. You know, over millions of people that have cast ballots. You know, in the in the twenty or twenty three years that I've been with the state, and and only these proven cases. So, it's it's precious little. We do look for it. We want to make sure to try to do everything we can to guard against it and to prosecute it when we find it. But it is not a huge issue um, that you know that we have to be worried about, and it certainly isn't something that is affecting the outcome of an election. So 
Um, you know, the the one that's the lowest on the list here in terms of this mayor's, mayor's poll was tampering by election officials or other political people. And we did have that one big thing happen in the 90s where there was some funny business where somebody broke into the counting room and did something like that. But, I mean, does that happen now? Do, I mean, maybe you don't know. Or how would we know if that was happening, Julie? Well, on the state level... Um, um, let me go back and okay. ask you to recount the incident that I only half remember from when... Somebody... I think it was in uh, 1990 or 92, um, and it, so it predated my time as Secretary of State. But at that time, the recounts were conducted um, and the ballots were brought to the State House, and they were conducted by... I can't remember if it was still maybe the Ethics Commission that did that or if the Secretary of State had authority, but the ballots were stored in a locked room in the State House, and ballots were only sealed in cartons, you know, cardboard cartons with tape. And someone gained access to the room. It was uh, found later to be a staffer of the legislature, and uh, he apparently... Um, he was caught because he had smoked a cigarette in there <laughs> while he was trying to open boxes and find some unmarked ballots and mark them oh. uh, to change the outcome. So um, as a result of that, uh, there was a commission, and it resulted in the process we have now, which at the end of voting, when everything has been counted, the voted ballots are sealed in metal uh, tamper-evident containers with uh, locks. Um, and a numbered seal, which is recorded, the lock and seal number is recorded by the clerk, and, <clears throat> excuse me, that paperwork is sent to the Secretary of State. So, um, and then ballots are, uh, the recounts are, ballots are retrieved by the state police and secured um, before and after the recount until they're sent back to the town, and the Secretary of State secures them while conducting the recount. So, that pro that process, I think, has been taken care of um, as far as what happens to the ballots, as long as they've been properly sealed and, and documented. Um, there's no chance of tampering uh, undetected. Mm -hmm. uh, it would be detected. But the process during Election Day is all public, and people can come and watch if there's, as long as there's sufficient space. And I think that's how they can, you know, I guess convince themselves that that nobody's doing anything untoward. And if you if you see somebody taking a bunch of ballots uh, out of the view of voters and going into another room, you call our office immediately. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. We'll send somebody over there and make sure you know that something's not happening. But um, you know, I think it's all a public process with um, election officials from each party. Um, the election clerks have to represent the two major parties and may represent the minor parties and. They're all there as a check and balance in the process. So, Patty, talk about that. I mean, I know, like, there's professional staff. There are your clerks, your registrars, your people. But some of the other participants are citizens coming in for the day. And then, as Julie's saying, if somebody really wants to make sure there's no funny business, they can just go there before the polls open and sit there all day, right? Right. Most of the processes that we do are conducted in public, uh, you know, we let people know that they have opportunity to 
to monitor the processes. So it's very open and transparent, and usually it's just um, misinformation that um, people think something shady is going on, something's going on behind the scenes, uh, which isn't the case. Um, so I take the opportunity with my election officials. Um, I train them well, and I also let them know that perception is truth in the voters' eyes so that they always want to be mindful of the fact that they're election clerks, they're representing the election process, and they have to do so with integrity and transparency. Um, so, you know, on election day, if the ballot box becomes full, we have to transfer from the ballot box to those tamper-proof containers. And we don't want to, you know, pull the ballot box off to the side and start, you know, shuffling with ballots and people wonder what's going on. Um, we stop, we make an announcement, we let the voters know these are all voted ballots. They're all counted by the machine already. The bo box is full, so we're going to transfer them to secure cases. So people that are within earshot and eyeshot have a full understanding of what's going on. So, And so, I mean, I don't know how your polling place is configured. In my town, it's huge, and there are hardly any voters. But um, if just Joe Schmo shows up and says, you know, I'm not a poll watcher, I'm not with the party, I'm just a citizen of this town, mm -hmm. and I'm curious how this works, you'll find a place for them to sit and watch? We have designated places within the polling place uh, for observers, poll watchers, to uh, monitor the process. There's a secure area within the polling place that is the you know, designated by a guardrail area, and that's for voters and election officials only. Um, but outside that guardrail area, they're allowed to sit and monitor and watch the process. Yeah. Julie, anything to add on that? Well, I would add that state law requires a layout such that um, the voting booths and the ballot box have to be at least six feet from the guardrail within the guardrail area so that people standing outside can't actually see how someone marked their ballot if they're walking, you know, with a ballot mm -hmm. um, and putting it into the tabulator. But it has to be, you know, the booths have to be set up so you can see that people are entering and leaving them. And, and so they can see the whole process. And, and, you know, if they have questions, they, they can ask an election official. That's great. And I, as we pointed out earlier, if they see something, they should ask. I mean, I know that you're going to be vigilant so that the process isn't doesn't become disruptive. But if somebody has a question and asks politely, um, that will be supported, right? Absolutely. Yeah, great. Um, we're going to take a little another station break here, and we're going to start taking um, listener calls after the break. But um, I want to turn to... Uh, Russian interference and electronic hacking when we come back. Okay. So uh, stay tuned for that. Um, but you're tuned to the Democracy Forum this morning on WERU-FM. This is Ann Luther from the League of Women Voters of Maine. Our topic today is elections in Maine, where the rubber meets the road. Our guests this morning are Patty Dubois, Waterville City Clerk, and Julie Flynn, Maine's Deputy Secretary of State for Corporations, Elections, and Commissions. At this point, the 1030 mark, I'd like to invite listeners to join our conversation. You're tuned uh, to the Democracy Forum on WERU-FM, and the phone number to call is 866-625-9378, or if you're calling locally, that's 469-0500. We have one listener line open today, so... Be patient if you get a busy signal. If you do get through, please take your answer off the line so that somebody else can call in behind you. Um, don't wait till the last minute to call. 
uh, get your call in early. And just like that, we have a caller on the phone. So, Yo, go ahead with your question. Good morning. Good morning. This is Yo in Tremont. If so many people think it's voter fraud, and so many think it's disenfranchisement, and so many think it's Russian hacking, plus some who think it's crooked town clerks, doesn't that still all add up to practically everyone thinks vote results are fake? The point is, votes are always counted by someone else. Thank you for putting on this program, and thank you to everyone for being Community Radio. Yeah, thanks for that question, Yo. I mean, this Marist poll showed that 40, you know, it all added up. 40% of people think that the elections are not fair for one reason or, or another. And, I mean, that's not 90%, but it's still quite a lot. And I think the reason why we want to do this show is um, to encourage people who have concerns about the conduct of elections to get involved and go see the elections being conducted for themselves. Uh, but Julie or Patty, do you want to comment on Yo's question? Um, I'd be happy to. Um, I think that social media plays a lot into some misconceptions that are out there, and that there, you know, one situation or um, can be broadcast and you know very quickly spread, um, and it may or may not be accurate or true. So that's, um, I think, part of the problem. Um, there's a lot of um, constant news sources out there. Um, so one instance, whether it's in Maine or somewhere else in the country, um, is spread, and then it's assumed that that same situation is uh, rampant in all voting jurisdictions across the U.S. So I think that's part of the problem. Um, but I feel like in my experience that um, I welcome the opportunity when it comes forth that someone has a concern because I think um, sharing the information with more people um, spreads a feeling of there is integrity in the process. So um, it's a little discouraging to hear that 40% number, but I think, you know, as in my experience, I continue to strive to get more people involved and get more uh, accurate information out there. Thank you, Patty. Julie, do you want to comment on that? Well, I think something that Patty just said is important is that our elections are conducted by our neighbors, you know, where the election officials are primarily from within the community where they serve. They can serve within the county. But uh, so we're, we're asking regular people just like ourselves to do the ballot process and do the counting and to represent us there. So if you want to volunteer, I would encourage you to volunteer and you will quickly see that, you know, there's not time to be <laughs> doing something nefarious. We're, we're trying our best to make sure that every voter gets a ballot, gets the correct ballot, gets their chance to vote, and that those ballots are counted correctly. Thanks. All right, let's do take up this question of Russian interference and, and um, electronic hacking. Uh, what's the front line of this, Julie? I know there were reports that some states were hacked, some were successfully hacked, some were attempted to be hacked. Was Maine one of those states, and what's Maine doing to protect our electronic voter systems? Well, we had not heard anything um, definitively until earlier this year uh, that the Department of Homeland Security did confirm that Maine was not one of those states that either had been hacked or attempted to hack. Um, the 
the states that had been hacked or had attempts were communicated directly uh, with uh, or by the Department of Homeland Security, but they didn't provide that information. I mean, there's a lot of, um, I, I think, as election officials, we felt the, the information flow was was very slow and, and delayed, but from the law enforcement perspective, they were trying to, you know, investigate and try to figure out who was doing what and what they were trying to do. Uh, what we do know is that uh, no voting systems or voting results data were hacked or attempted to be hacked. Um, there were uh, intrusions into voter registration databases uh, that were discovered. So um, I think, first of all, with voting systems, Maine uses paper ballots. The tabulators are not connected to the Internet. They are not networked. They are not connected to any outside source other than power supply at the voting place. Our results are not transmitted electronically. Uh, the, the tabulator, the town, prints out a, a results tape and records that on a paper document or return of votes cast, um, which is signed in a, you know, in a, an original document that is kept by the town and submitted to the state. The unofficial results do get entered into our voter registration system database, but we don't have an online system of election night reporting that could be susceptible to someone uh, hacking in or trying to hack in. Mm -hmm. uh, so that being said, our voter registration, um, well, I would also say that the creation of the ballots and the um, results uh, the USB memory sticks that are sent to the towns, that is all done by the Secretary of State. We test it. We deliver them directly to the towns through a, a documented mail process. Uh, of, uh, everything has a chain of custody with it. And we have tested it before we send it out, and the towns have to test it before Election Day to make sure the machines are working and that the coding is proper to... to um, you know, result to get the correct results for those test ballots, and those results are sealed with the uh, election materials and are part of a recount or could be part of a recount, um, and could be, you know, um, people should know that those are available to see before the election that that the test has taken place. Um, I, I mean, I know that computer experts say that this testing is all necessary and very important to do, but maybe not definitive in ensuring that the electronics work on election day in the exact same way as they have during the test. Do we have any protection against that sort of thing? The, the files that are created are um, encrypted and the results are encrypted. I mean, the system that we use for, for tabulation has been federally certified. It has to meet the standards for cybersecurity. Um, and the only way that someone could uh, change the firmware is to have unfettered access to the programming prior to an election, which the vendor has security protocols. I mean, you could have a rogue operative at the vendor, I suppose, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but they'd have to go in and 
they don't have access to the firmware now. It's all on machines that are out in, in 265 different main municipalities and are secured by the town before, you know, physically secured before uh, and after Election Day. During Election Day, they're prominently placed at the polls. Our software that we use to do, we don't have a vendor or a third party do the um, coding for the election. The Secretary of State, our staff does it in the Elections Division. We have a single hardened computer that has no other software on it other than that which is necessary to lay out the ballot and, and save the result, the, the how you, you know, scan the ballots onto uh, USB sticks. And then we test those in our machines. And when those are locked into the machine um, by the election official, there's no way to get access to it. Our mm-hmm. system is not connected to the Internet. It's not networked with anything. Um, you know, they'd have to break into our office, get by the physical security, get to that computer and, and know what our passwords are to get into that system. And that just, I mean, it's, it's theoretically possible to happen, but it is not happening. Yep. You want to add to any of this, Patty? I know this is in the state's purview, but... Well, I, I would agree with Julie that, you know, Maine is somewhat old school in that we have, you know, the voting equipment that's standalone equipment, not connected uh, to the internet, I think there's some misconception that because it's an electronic tabulator, that it has to be somehow, you know, connected to the internet, and that our results are sent electronically, and that's not, in fact not true. So I think just the fact that voters know that uh, alleviates a lot of their concerns. Um, I would add that you know Maine is fortunate to have Secretary of State Matt Dunlap and and Deputy Julie Flynn. They have a lot of experience um, and expertise. They're, they're meticulous. They're organized. So we're very fortunate that we don't have a lot of, you know, issues. Yep. So let me ask you about this cybersecurity aspect of it. I mean, I can see lots of good reasons why some of this has to be secret and has to be done um, with some protocols. But how much of this is actually open to public inspection or, like, how much... Um, transparency is there around this aspect of it, Julie? And then we have another caller on the line, so when you're done, we'll put her on. Okay. Uh, I think there has to be a certain amount of secrecy. I mean, you don't want to broadcast, just like you wouldn't with your own computer and say, ah, here's my password, or, you know, this is where I'm vulnerable. I don't really have any, uh, you know, security software on here or whatever. I mean, we're not broadcasting that. We're trying to learn about best practices and follow those and and, uh, implement those. Uh, We do, um, the voter registration system is is accessed by the 500 municipalities uh, over the internet. Um, So that is, has more vulnerability just because it is, you know, a web-based system. The database resides in the Secure Data Center. It's behind the state firewalls. Um, the state runs, and, and our office runs. Uh, you know, a lot of intrusion detection um, protocols. Um, and so, I mean, that's not anything that we're going to share exactly what we're doing. Um, now that we've concluded it, um, I can tell you that we have implemented. 
uh, complex passwords, uh, finally, for our voter uh, registration system database. And the towns all have now had to adopt, uh, you know, what's considered a complex password, minimum 14 characters Mm -hmm. and certain other things. And again, we're not going out there and saying this is what you have to have to have a good password. So you hackers, you can try to set up a program to do this. But let's not give them a recipe, right? Right. But we do. Uh, the passwords are encrypted in the database. So if some foreign actor were to get in, they couldn't get the keys to the kingdom. They couldn't get any other other databases. And we are looking for. I mean, there's attempts every every database, every public facing or you know, uh, database has attempts. People are just like, you know, robocalls. Yeah, people are trying you know, all People the time. are trying to, yep. these phishing scams, they're trying to find out what is this that I'm looking at, you know, and trying to figure out how to get in. And when they encounter the firewalls, they, they usually give up and they go on and look for something where there's a door open. All right, let's put Martha on the line. Martha from El- Ellsworth, go ahead with your question. Hi. Um, yeah, my question is about um, maybe a random audit. I know that uh, I, I think it's been said that the uh, when we have to have a recount because of close elections, that sort of serves as an audit. But I, it seems to me it would reassure a lot of people if we, on the integrity of the voting, if we had random audits. Um, so I'd like to know what their people think about that. Um, I don't think that. I guess it's our view that we don't think that they're necessary. Um, I know people have concerns, but recounts are not known in advance what districts are going to be close. Um, And we have had recounts that have come down to one vote and they have held up. And the changes that have occurred have been done because voters didn't mark their ballot in a way that the machine could read it, but when you do a hand recount, the humans can read it. And so we are spending our efforts on the things, on the races that are close, because that is where it is most likely to change the outcome of an election. If someone wins by 5,000 votes, it's going to take staff and money to try to do a random audit in 20 days that we have to certify the election, which is, you know, what is requested while we're trying to do ranked choice voting, while we're trying to do the results of the election, and while we're trying to do recounts that are required by law. So the staffing and the money required to add this other procedure in order to maybe change the votes by a couple, you know, to insert a random audit result instead of a, an election day result, I don't think that's warranted. Um, we, we have the protections on the coding and the uh, access to hacking that I think could make those wholesale changes in results. We don't have that that in Maine. Listen, you're tuned to the Democracy Forum on WERU. This is Ann Luther from the League of Women Voters, and our guests this morning are Patty Dubois. Um, Waterville City Clerk, and Julie Flynn, Maine's Deputy Secretary of State for Corporations, Elections, and Commissions. You can join our conversation now by calling 866-625-9378 or 469-0500. We're talking about elections in Maine, where the rubber meets the road. Um, 
you know, we probably have a longer conversation on audits, and the League of Women Voters may have another opinion on that, but we'll save that for, <laughs> for an, another moment. Right. Um, I, I do want to uh, talk a little bit, though, about ranked choice voting in the context of this, because, you know, we had our first ranked choice voting election in the primary, and now, you know, here comes another one. So in the context of how elections work, what people can expect, and what the opportunities are for citizen participation. Um, I'd like to have you just talk about what people can expect in November. And maybe, Patty, start from the local side. What are people going to see when they go to the polls in November? Well, really, there's not a lot of change for voters when they show up at the polls. The ballots certainly look a little different. Um, I haven't seen them yet, but I believe they'll be two-sided. Is that correct, Julie? One side will have the ranked choice uh, races and the other side will have just the regular vote for one. Yeah. Um, so I think uh, we do at City Hall in Waterville run the, uh, it's a little public service announcement that was made by the Secretary of State's office. It's a little cartoon video that talks about ranked choice voting. So we run that at City Hall. We run it on our website um, and we also run it at the polls. So we have an information table if people are you know, show up at the voting place and are unsure about how to mark their ballot. I think mostly... Oh, wait, so wait a minute. That's a really good idea. So you had that little video running at the polling place so yes. if people were confused, they could just watch the video and yes. figure out, oh, good All idea. All day, yeah. <laughs> and uh, also to have uh, election officials on hand to answer questions. Uh, voters sometimes are confused that they necessarily don't have to do all the rankings. They can choose one or maybe their first and second choices, and then they don't have to rank out any further. Um, so I think there's a little confusion on that. Or if they're not comfortable with it at all, that certain races they can leave completely blank, and uh, the rest of the ballots counts where they have made choices. So just giving that information, I think, um, settles some voters where they may be a little uncomfortable. So election, local election officials are able to answer sort of how-to questions, not right. who to vote for, but how-to questions that voters may have. That's correct. That's good. Julie, what happens after that? Um, well, we have our, uh, on the um, elections uh, page of the Secretary of State website, we have a link for ranked choice voting. We have that video that uh, Patty is talking about. Uh, we have a, a copy of the instruction poster that will be posted in each voting booth. We created a special instruction poster for how to mark a ranked choice part of the ballot. Um, Patty is right. The two races, the two federal races will be ranked choice voting. It's uh, U.S. Senator, which will be on everybody's ballot, and then either Congressional District 1 or District 2. They both have uh, at more than two candidates. So, uh, so the Congressional District on and everyone's ballot will be ranked choice. And then what we call plurality races, where you just vote for one and the one who gets the most votes wins. Uh, those will be on the other side of the ballot. There will be a separate ballot for the uh, referendum questions because we could not fit that all onto one ballot. So, um, Julie, just say very clearly which races we will not be using ranked choice voting for. We will not be using ranked choice voting for governor, for state senator, state representative, or any county races. Yeah, I think there's still some confusion out there about that, right. so we probably can't say that too often. Right. It's only the federal races. And um, and I think, you know, we, we didn't get any negative feedback. We got some positive feedback on our instruction posters and the instructions on the ballot being clear. So we, we've done that the same um, as, as we 
did previously. Uh, and we encourage, and I think some towns, I don't think you mentioned this, Patty, but have sort of an informational kiosk where they posted printed materials from the Secretary of State's office on, you know, the instruction poster and and other so that they have that as well as the video available for voters to see both during the absentee voting period, which will start in uh, first week in October, uh, as soon as the ballots are, are delivered. And, you know, we'll go through until, until, until Election Day. That sounds great. Um, so very good to know that election officials are allowed to be helpful, like in helping people figure out, again, not who to vote for, but how to vote a valid ranked choice voting ballot. Um, so uh, because I, I think people still are going to have questions about that, and a lot of people who vote in the general election are people who will be using ranked choice voting for the first time. Um, so what's the counting and tabulating process going to look like, Julia? Are you expecting it will be quite similar to what happened in the primary? Uh, yes, it will be quite similar. Um, you know, we we found some space for some improvements, but uh, we are going to uh, still be using uh, General Courier to pick up the ballots starting on Thursday after Election Day. I mean, if it's apparent to us on, on um, Tuesday night or Wednesday that, no one got a majority of the votes in either U.S. Senate or, um, you know, either the, the um, congressional district races, then we will uh, d make the arrangements on Wednesday and ballot retrieval or memory stick, stri memory stick retrieval will start happening on Thursday morning and Friday so that most of the either ballots or memory sticks will be uh, retrieved and delivered to our uh, counting center in Augusta by, you know, end of day Friday or into the evening on Friday. And once again, that counting facility is open to the public, so people who want to observe that um, can also find a place to um, take part and witness, right? That's right. There is a small viewing area. Um, we, did, um, we didn't want to set up, I mean, the, uh, you know, having... You know, cameras in there. For, I mean, we have cameras for monitoring by by the Capitol Police uh, to make sure there's no intrusion after hours. It's part of our security on that building. But um, we didn't want to have, you know, streaming video of, of all of that because we didn't want to introduce an Internet connection and yep. something into that area. But uh, there is there is room for, for folks to come, and the media has been there, uh, at least at the beginning and uh, some right through to the end. Uh, we will begin uh, uploading memory sticks and, and ballots, scanning ballots and uploading them uh, on Friday. Yep. Um, we, what we did in June is we did them on Friday and on Monday and with some finishing up on Tuesday. Um, I, I don't know yet whether we're going to look at doing this on Saturday or not. I mean, it's a... Yep. It's a big ask for, you know, state staff and overtime costs and security of the building and all of that on a, you know, on a weekend day. But um, so that that may be possible, but we'll certainly let folks know once we've, you know, well, once we've set the schedule. But good. 
Good. It's good to know. Um, it, you know, we thought it ran fairly smoothly in the spring, and in a similar process would be good for the fall. I have two more topics that we want to cover that I want to cover today, and uh, we are kind of running out of time. So, I want to just very quickly ask you because we talked about voter fraud, Russian interference, vote tampering. The last of the factors was voter suppression, and from um, the experience that I've seen in Maine, I, I think the one area where we may possibly have a little bit of this happening is in the area of student voting. So could, you know, you're from a college town, Patty, could you yeah. just talk a little bit about student voter registration? Um, that's an area that we do get uh, a lot of concern expressed, you know, why can college students, why are they allowed to vote, you know, in Waterville, whatever. Um, and I would say that we follow the law. Uh, the law does allow, uh, college students to declare the town where they reside, even if it's a dorm, uh, to be their residence and that they can um, register and vote in that town. Um, So I I would say that for anyone that, you know, expresses concern over that, that it's allowed by law and we follow all the laws. Um, So if, you know, I just would encourage people if that's an area that they feel needs to be looked at, then I would turn them to the the legislative process and suggest that they change the law if they don't agree with it. Um, But we do have a lot of, um, that's part of the issue, is that we have a lot of lines at voter registration on Election Day because because we do have two colleges within our um, city limits. So um, people can provide identity, you know, such as a, a different state driver's license or whatnot, and swear an oath that they declare their residency to be in Waterville and that they, you know, don't have rights or take rights anywhere else to vote. Yep, great. Um, It sounds like the music's coming up and we're out of time, so I want to give you each one last moment to say one short thing about citizen participation in the election process. You go first, Julie, very quickly. Wow, um, I just would encourage people, get involved, get out and vote. You know, if you think you're going to be away on Election Day, request an absentee, ba- absentee ballot, vote that way. Um, the, re- the requests are available now. The ballots will be available uh, in about two weeks and then for the 30 days before the election. So a very, very offer quick. to volunteer. Thank you so much. Offer to volunteer. Go ahead, Patty, very quickly. I would agree. We lose 10% of our workforce every year. Anyone who is interested and able should contact their local town clerk and volunteer. Thanks an awful lot. We are now dead out of time. So thank you to our guests this morning, Patty Dubois, Waterville City Clerk, and Julie Flynn, Maine's Deputy Secretary of State for Corporations, Elections, and Commissions. You've been listening to the Democracy Forum, a project of the League of Women Voters Down East, produced in cooperation with WERUFM. Thank you to Amy Brown, our engineer at WERU. Thank you to our listeners. Our website is lwvme.org for more information about this topic or to learn about other shows in this series. We'll see you here next month. Thanks a lot. Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from Bangor Celtic Crossroads, a new festival featuring...